SAFM, leading the conversation. The Viewpoint, 8 to 10 p.m. Flipping conventional wisdom on its head. Songhezomapete on SAFM. I'm in conversation with one of the great debaters of my era in university debating, Mr. Mandla Isaacs, political economist and managing director at Zehuti Advisory. Good evening, Mklegazi. How are you? I'm good. How are you? You Not just threw me off. Thank Not you. That's, that's a great throwback. <laughs> Not too bad at all, thank you. On Wednesday, all eyes will be on Minister Mboweni, tabling the long-awaited adjusted budget. And, of course, this is quite unprecedented given the times. He has had to, of course, juggle the GDP, that is, contracting, come your end, deal with SOEs and the fact that there are a majority of them in life support, widening social development safety net that just keeps on giving and growing, public sector walkabout that has been talked about over the national wage bill, the pandemic itself and the responses thereto, fiscally anyway. What do you anticipate or perhaps even hope Minister Mbowen addresses because we are clearly requiring to do so much more with so much less? Oh, absolutely. I mean, that has been, you know, doing more with less has been the theme for, you know, at least it feels like a decade, but certainly the last several years. I think that uh, you hit the nail on the head with the word hope, right? I mean, I think we we absolutely, I probably focus more on what I would hope to see uh, coming from the budget and thereafter than what I expect to see. Look, I mean, the reality is that, you know, we obviously have been coming in coming in on the back of of, of a decade of underperformance economically. Um, Treasury had been looking at a at a a GDP growth of about a, about 1% in February with a budget de- deficit estimated estimated about just under 7%. We're obviously now looking at the worst recession in, in almost 100 years. And so, you know, Treasury, I think, has uh, some numbers leaked out of the conversations with Medlac on Friday of something like, you know, they're expecting something like a 7%, 6 or 7% uh, rec- d- d- Decrease in growth, excuse me, this year, six or seven percent contraction, with uh, many economists uh, as well as the business community thinking that's going to be like closer to ten percent. I think you know Treasury's numbers, the GDP growth forecast for almost a decade, have been more optimistic than the eventual reality. So I think we could be seeing GDP growth um, contracting as much as ten percent, which is basically the biggest hit in like a century. Um, you know, this budget deficit, we're going to be going into double digits. The question is exactly how high. And, you know, so we're, that's going to mean a lot of things. We've seen, we're hearing talk about zero-based budgeting, which is saying that instead of looking at what departments got in the last budget and, and tweaking it here and there, that we're going to base, that the idea is Treasury will be starting from zero and justifying everything. Obviously, you know, you've got public sector wages, which are, you know, kind of the elephant in the room. But I think what you're going to see is, There's going to be certainly some big reallocations. Um, We're now, we've gone past the fact, we're now cutting the muscle in terms of infrastructure budgets, things of that nature. Um, And, you know, there's certainly going to be a need to get money from overseas. Um, The new development bank loan on Saturday will have come as welcome news, you know, a billion dollars, you know, 16 billion rand odd, depending on exchange rates. They've got an application into the IMF. Um, and I think what the, the big thing, I mean, beyond these kind of technical features, I think the big thing is that, you know, Minister Boeni has indicated over and over again that of the need for structural reform, 
you know, it's all good and well. Um, other gov- other departments are able to kind of be stuck in their kind of political, um, you know, their political battles about what they decide to do and not do and how fast they do it. But at the end of the day, uh, Minister Mbwini has to pay the bills. from an, from, And he's seeing his, our revenue is shrinking, our expenditure is widening. He's referred to it as kind of a hippo's mouth in terms of the gap between revenue and expenditure. And so he's the one that's holding the bag. And, and so he's, he's made clear that the only sustainable solution out of this is to improve our exports, improve our competitiveness along the lines of the structural reform strategy that he put out uh, last August. Mm. And um, that President Ramaphosa has kind of given some, some, some positive signals of his support to. But that structural reform agenda, I think, is going to form part of um, Minister Mboweni's plans. And I, I would suspect that he is going to use this opportunity to, um, you know, to give some of his colleagues a wake-up call. You know, remind me to please ask you about the cabinet and the apparent um, lack of cohesion Oftentimes, at least from his Twitter account, we get the sense that Minister Mbowenu is somewhat frustrated by some of the decisions to which he is bound by virtue of being a cabinet minister. I want us to have a chat about that, but a little bit later on. Specifically now, I'm guarded to or minded to refer to what you referred to as the elephant in the room. That's the public wage bill, which accounts for just about mm-hmm. four and a half cent. I mean, what, 45 percent of the, our national GDP? That's a lot of money. Yep. Couple that with social grants. I want us to have an honest, frank conversation. Is it not time to review how the government spends its money in relation to, one, the public wage, two, social grants, bearing in mind on the account of everything that has happened in this democratic dispensation? Public wage bill can, has only increased. Social grants, both in value and number, have only increased. Are we on collision course here of something what nobody wants to even imagine on the status quo? Let's talk about this elephant in the room, Mandla. Look, um, I'm glad you sighed. It's hard. We're, we're absolutely, you know, I want to be, I want to be kind of balanced here. I mean, on the one hand, we certainly our public wage bill is unsustainable, and and what that means is that. You know, between the global financial crisis and now, you know, our economy essentially has has not grown, and and yet um, we the government would routinely sign these above inflation wage increases. When you're thinking about the question of the size of our wage bill, it's a function of how many public servants we have and how much they're paid. Um, you know, Treasury put out an analysis uh, in 2017 or 18, which showed that when you get up to about a million rand in salary public sector workers are paid more than private sector workers. Over that, private sector workers tend to take over. So, you know, you make of that what you will, but, it, but what it does seem to indicate is that, you know, the public sector, public sector servants have been paid quite generously. Um, and, you know, there's roughly, there were roughly 1.2 million civil servants at that time, of which 80,000 were senior managers. Very often when we start talking about the wage bill, they try to, you know, people will say, oh, we'll cut senior manager salaries, but really they make up a very small proportion. You know, if you were to ask me, my, my, you know, obviously you would have to look into this very in detail, but if you ask me about the number of civil servants, I think we're going to struggle to reduce that number. Um, you know, obviously the healthcare system, as we see, is vital. It's very difficult. I mean, the vast majority of those 1.2 million civil servants are nurses and teachers. 
Mm. And I, I don't think we can argue that we're gonna that we need less of those. We certainly need more social workers. You talk about gender-based violence and things of that nature, policemen. Um, so I don't think the number of civil servants is something that you can really feasibly reduce. I think it's the question of the increases. And as we know, the union government in Feb said, look, we can't afford to pay the increase we agreed to a couple of years ago. The unions have taken government to court. Politically, I would say that I... You know, politically, I would think that that's something for the executive branch to solve. And, and, if, and if they say that they can't afford it, that that's something that they should be able to make a call on. Obviously, legally, I can't, I can't speak to that, and we'll see what the courts have to say. But certainly a reckoning is coming. Um, and the reality is we cannot live without, beyond our means. We cannot um, pay, you know, Mercedes-Benz salaries, and yet our, our revenue-generating machine is a Toyota. So, you know, as we try to balance this question of revenue versus expenditure, the issue is the economy. And so when you talk about, you know, the minister and his colleagues, you know, the Mm. question is, he's saying, you guys want money, but, you know, Department of Energy, you're not, you're holding back investment in renewable energy. You know, telecommunications, you haven't made a decision on digital migration, which was due in 2012. You haven't given, you haven't allocated spectrum you're holding back tens of billions of investment in, in the telecom sector. DPE, Minister Gordon, you want money for SAA or SAA 2.0, but you know transit inefficiencies at the port and in the rail in the rail sector are holding back our exports and our economy. So this is kind of the challenge here. Mm. Um, Hope that answers your question. It does, but of course it's given me so many more questions. And I would imagine <laughs> as we are having this conversation between myself and Mr. Mandla Isaacs, who is a political economist and managing director of Zehuti Advisory, I certainly do not profess to know much about economics, even though I do try through the research I do and the engagements I would have with my producers. But you who sits at home, who will certainly be affected one way or the other by this adjusted budget to be tabled before Parliament by the Minister of Finance, Mr. Tito Mboweno, I would most certainly urge you to give us a call 0891-104-207. WhatsApp voice notes 0614-104-107. Perhaps I should also just say this once so that even the producers and I agree. Please, please, please resist the temptation to send us a voice note with your radio in the background. The feedback is absolutely terrible. We have chanced our luck once or twice by playing it on air, but it really doesn't make for great broadcast and sound quality. Keep it, please, under a minute, straight to the point. If you're going to give us a call, for the most part, if not all the part, the rules apply. Please, ladies and gentlemen, let's work together. Let's try and just make today a good one. If we can get today a good one, tomorrow will be, and so the pattern will continue. Mind let's continue the conversation. We're in short supply of nurses. We're in short supply of teachers. We're in short supply of police officers social workers, the core of what gives this country its dignity, the core upon which or through which service delivery in this country is predicated. In number, certainly, we are lagging behind. And even with those who are there, it cannot be gainsaid that their benefits structure and total remuneration packages perhaps leave much to be desired for. For the most part, then, I would argue with you or put it to you, there's a credible case for why Typically, in such circumstances, nurses, teachers, police officers, social workers should be getting more. But, of course, in the climate in which this budget is operating, that at all is not possible. In fact, the opposite is true. We need to reduce wherever we can trim, so to speak. That's what needs to be done. So where we have a classic case here, then, of trying to motivate 
and trying to legitimize these officials who are in the public service, getting them to have more colleagues so they're not as stretched as they are, and with that come the social ills of having more, I mean, less people doing the work of what typically should be done by more people, versus the reality of, well, then, where is this money going to come from? What sort of conversations then would be happening in the light of the proposed budget that is going to be adjusted the competencies of social development, of the police, of health, of education, and everybody else who will justifiably put an argument and say, we want more, both money and resources and staff, versus Mbawenu saying, well, you don't have more. In fact, from what you have, I want to take a bit more so that I can do X, Y, and Z. The obvious tension. Let's have a conversation about that. Well, I mean, you're getting at the you're getting at the core challenge, right? Um, you know, government um, spending is essentially going to salaries. It's going to um, the the procurement of goods and services, and it's going to capital investment, right, through infrastructure and other things of that nature. Now, the issue that you've you've entered in your in your, in your comment in, in, uh, that you just made is it's about the composition of, of government spending, right? So, you know, as much as salaries are important, because these, these public services, these public um, officials, these civil servants do essential work, as you've alluded to. They raise our, you know, they, they educate our children. They're taking care of us when we're sick and, and helping us, especially in the time of the pandemic, and many other things, right? But um, if you want to grow the economy and, 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 and create more prosperity for South Africans, create more employment, more opportunities for, for South Africans to be employed, because the government can't employ everyone, mm-hmm. then you need to be investing. You need to create an environment where you're investing in infrastructure that's allowing new economic activity to take place, um, that you're investing in innovation, research and development, which is going to, you know, certainly um, public investment in research and development and innovation underpins a dynamic and competitive private sector because private sector companies are able to take those smart people, take those patents, take those public innovations, and monetize it and create new goods and services mm, and employ mm, South mm, process. Mm, mm, and, of course, improve the, the, the quality and complexity of our exports, which is where dynamic, sustained economic growth comes from. So the challenge right now is that because of these, these wage increases, we've been... Um, spending more on wages than we have on investment. And, and, and right now, that is fundamentally the challenge. So, you know, right now, we have a tough situation. And so I think the only answer is, if you do, you're not able to solve that problem, then unfortunately, you know, you get to a point where countries like Argentina and other countries have gotten to where if your wage, if your debt-to-GDP ratio keeps, keeps increasing, um, we've seen business warning recently, uh, I think over the weekend or on Friday at Netflix, that, you know, we might be getting to the point where we've been, we've been worrying about this debt crisis, right? We've been saying, at what point are we going to go off a cliff and end up having to go to the IMF, uh, you know, hat in hand? And that's, that's kind of the nightmare scenario that all of us are trying to avoid. Because if you keep borrowing right now, I mean, before this crisis, of every hundred grand that government spends, 13 of it is going to, into debt repayment. And so, you know, we had been tr- trying to stabilize our debt to GDP ratio. At first, it was 50%. Then it was 60%. Then the February budget is looking at talking about 80%. And now with this unprecedented crisis, we're looking at our, our debt skyrocketing to, you know, over 100% of GDP over the next several years. And if government gets to the point where it is not able to borrow enough money 
or to service its debt repayments, to all the money that needs to fund government, because right now, we, you know, the deficit means fundamentally that we are spending more than we're generating. Um, far, that we're spending far more than we're yep. generating, and we've solved the difference by borrowing. And if we get to the point where we can't do that, that's when countries end up having to, um, to go to the IMF, having to negotiate with creditors, and that's where you get, have a situation where now your creditors or the IMF are, are now saying to you, that's when you end up having to make very tough decisions around austerity, reducing public sector headcount, cutting back services, and that's the kind of thing that we don't want to see ourselves having to do either involuntarily or sharply uh, because of a debt crisis. We'd rather see us uh, making those decisions proactively. So that ultimately is the challenge. You're either going to generate more revenue through a thriving economy. I mean, think about the fact that over the past decade, um, just just one one factor, FCOM, has limited our growth, capped our growth at two percent basically over the past decade. So, and then you no add SABC, what, no matter, you add ESCOM. You've already mentioned you add SAA, the challenges of Danel, and we're going to talk about state-owned entities on that. I'm, I'm sorry to cut you there, Manda, but it begins no, to really yeah. be a reality. It's 2029. Let's take a short ad break. I do remind you the lines are open. 0891-104-207. Mandla has got his pen and paper ready. After the ad break, he's going to tell us a little bit more in relation to the rise in global debt and where South Africa sits in relation to its debt-to-GDP ratio and whether or not it might be an inevitable for the country to go to the IMF given the constraints faced by the national fiscus. First up, though, after the break, it's Mike, then it's Tembiso. Thank you so much. You may join. SAFM, leading the conversation. SMS SAFM now on 41391. Good evening, Mike. How's it going? Hey, Sangeza, very well, and you? Not too bad, thank you. Sangeza, fantastic, enjoying your show. But I have to say I'm a bit disappointed with your guest, if I may speak frankly. He's telling us what we already know. We know we're in trouble. We know the the financial implications of the amazing stupidity of the government that we have got ruling us at the moment. But let me get, let me tell him where, I stand, where I'm sitting at the moment, where I stand, should I say. I took... Uh, Cyril Ramaphosa's challenge to roll up our sleeves and bring in some work. I went to Berlin. I met with a company there. I came back with 200 jobs, 100 million rand investment into our country. After a lot of effort, may I say, the directors came out here. They spent two weeks in the country. The CEO of the company came out with his wife, spent two weeks in Stellenbosch and Johannesburg in Natal, and they decided to invest here. I had to sell them the BE, um, you know, the, the corruption in BE, and how, 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 explain to them how a mayor in Johannesburg made 30 million rand doing nothing. I had to explain about the unions and the violence as we see today, just in our streets of Joburg, how they're going to have to deal with these kind of unions. What, what problems does that bring? I had to speak NHI because they couldn't understand how a capitalist society, a democracy, would, would want to try and take over a private company. And, and so I had, then, of course, came the real deal breaker. When they decided to finally invest here, I found the property and where they were going to invest. And by the way, may I just say, the 100 million rand is just the start. This is a Geneva-based company. They operate out of Frankfurt, and they've done work through Poland, Czechoslovakia, and Romania. Extremely successful, big property company. They came to NHI, uh, sorry, expropriation without compensation, and they said, guys, Mike, forget about it. Been lovely knowing you, but there's no way we're investing in this country when we cannot look after our assets. 
So to your, to your guest on the show, I'd say to him, look, I hear what you're saying, and I understand you telling us, but, but you know what? We've got, we've got a government here, which I think you need to acknowledge is based on my ideology. They're not looking after the people. They're not interested in that. They're interested in staying in power. And this public wage bill, all the rest, that's going to carry on ad infinitum. What we need to actually Rhonda, be dealing please. with, and your guest needs to understand, is that we first need to deal with the fact that this government's built on an ideology. It's not built on what's good for the people. Excellent. Thanks very much, Sigiso. Excellent. Thank you so much. Stay on the radio because there are some thoughts coming through, and Mandla will certainly take his time to respond to what you have said. Tembiso, good evening. I understand you're a very happy brother right now. Yeah, thank you for the song. Eh? Indeed, brother. Your thoughts, yeah. please. Um, I should ask Amanda, uh, because since, since our, um, our social policies are not in line with economic policies, in a way, I I believe we could, for example, why don't we don't give them grants, we give them food coupons like in the States, but in government, because farmers get farmers grants. From the, from the government, why don't we use those those farmers to feed the country, and rather than giving giving them money, because some of the money is not actually being used. I um, I saw a girl with nails swiping a South Carolina race bank pick and pay, not buying something, withdrawing, taking a cashback. I'm thinking to myself, that is not supposed to be useful. Sure, we've got you loud and clear. Social policy versus economic policy, the disalignment. Therefore change how the mandate of Section 27, Social Security, is in fact affected. Right now, it is through money. Coupons, increased productivity, perhaps options, not a bad idea. Tembi, so thanks for that. Ezekiel, you know what you need to do. Shlanganisamatambo in Bushbuck Ridge. Good evening. Very much so, my brother. How are you? Well, sir, how are you? Thank you, and the listeners. Mm. I, I, I think, uh, um, well, coincidentally, I'm a, I'm a low-paid uh, government uh, uh, employee, or should I say a level two for that matter. For, for all my life, I've always wanted to, to study to be a lawyer. But let me tell you, it is uh, almost impossible because I can only be limited to taking two modules. That's all I can afford. So can we, can we imagine? Mm. But the, the reality, is, again, is that um, uh, on top of that, some of us have got uh, a couple of people more than five people relying on us, you know, so it makes sense to get that increase. But we, 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 it's not like we are, we are, we are blind to the realities uh, that are faced by the government. But uh, some of these problems, are, our ANC-led government, they, I think they are self-inflicted. If you look at the environment uh, as to when people want to open businesses, the environment is not conducive. The red tape is there, you know. Uh, if they can remove those uh, red tape so that it becomes easier for people to go into businesses. Right now, if you drive around, you see people changing tires, uh, fixing engines. They are able to do so. But can uh, insurance companies refer uh, customers to people like those? No, they can't because they are not. They, they must be requirements that they must satisfy and, and, and all that, including government. Their own fleet, their own vehicles are not uh, normally fixed by uh, people who are supposed to, to, to benefit from that. But uh, uh, almost lastly, uh, mm. that, uh, at least from where I'm sitting, I've always been, been, been wondering as to the, 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 the child support. I know I'm stepping on wrong, on wrong tools here. When you look into this uh, 
this uh, 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 grant. Some of them, uh, when, when this idea was con- conceptualized, I think it was not uh, uh, realized that at some point you are going to have, uh, uh, you know, children who are supposed to be in school, you know, them themselves, you know, bearing children and all that. How do we address even the social a, 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 the social part of the problem to ensure that a kids let kids go to school and and and, and all that. You know, I think we need the, we need things like those so that we can be able to 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 uh, to, to to address the the problems holistically. But starting with the government implementing their own policies, which are gathering dust somewhere by the way, Fantastic. to ensure that the business thank you so much brother Hezekiel. final call of this evening from twine the nation's capital where i come from big people people Sizwe. yes uh, this is Sizwe from kzn i just want to make uh, i thought you were from twine Lesejo told me you're coming from twine are you in kzn i'm in kzn yes oh gosh okay anyway doesn't matter yeah go ahead brother yeah Here's the problem that I don't understand with the experts, with the guy that you got on the line. Mr. Mandla Isaacs is his name. Sorry? Mr. Mandla Isaacs is the person. Yes, Mandla, yes. Here's the problem. When you look at the wage bill that he's talking about and the public servants that he's talking about, we've got people who are cleaners. We've got people who are admin clerks who are earning far less than what this guy is talking about. I don't think when he's talking about public servants, he must mention which people is he really talking about. Because you've got people who are from salary level 1 to level 12. Level 12 is management uh, people. But people lower than level 12 are people earning less than 20,000 rands or so. So when are we not supposed to be paid? Well, are we not supposed to be getting an increment? I just want him to clarify that because a lot of hype is being peddled here about public servants earning too much. Public servants are not earning too much. You know, that's, that's the point I wanted to clarify, to say that, we, I mean, what he's saying is absolutely incorrect. Okay, let him an opportunity to respond. We have had Mike Stembi, so Hezekiel, as well as Sizwe in KZN. However, you want to go by addressing the points addressed to you. My only request, Mandla, is that you say specifically with reference to Mike Stembi, so Hezekiel, or Sizwe. It's all yours. Okay, thank you. Thanks for leaving me on an island here, Sandeva. Uh, You're on your own, so brother. Mike You're Stembi, so Hezekiel and Sizwe. Okay, look, to start with, Let's start with Mike. Um, look, well done, Mike, on on, on attracting much-needed uh, foreign investment to the country. I think what he's getting at is, you know, a core tension uh, in, in in our management of the economy, which is quite simply that, as much as we focus on our internal political debates and issues of that nature, at the end of the day, we're, we're one of 200 countries on the planet, um, and you know, we need to attract investment and we need to export. And when companies are deciding which countries that they should put money into to invest or which countries they want to buy goods and services from, at the end of the day, they're asking, is this a good environment for me to invest? Does it have a good business environment? Um, is it affordable? Is it, you know, does it have skilled labor? And all of these different questions. Does it have you know, regulations that make sense to me and that I'm, are going to be easy for me to follow as, a, as an investor? 
And the extent to which that we, we tick the boxes on those questions will attract investment. And unfortunately, if you don't tick the boxes, then investors will walk away. And, you know, I want to give credit to the government in that there has been a lot of work in recent years around improving the, the, the business environment, uh, DGI and others, investors, A, that, you know, they're doing this work. But as Mike is saying from his real-world example, it, you know, it's a challenge, and, and, he, and that's exactly right. So Mike has given us a very practical example of what it's all about. His German his, his investors came, they looked around, and if we, don't, if we don't tick the right boxes, they'll move on to the next country. And, and I think that's what we have to focus on. Tim Buso, um, social policy and economic policy. Look, the grants question is a big one. Um, a lot of people have been asking the, these new grants that we, that we introduced as part of the COVID-19 relief, are they going to be temporary, as has been announced, or are they going to end up becoming permanent because of the need? And I, I think this is an underlying tension behind all of these questions. Fellow South Africans, at the end of the day, the money has to come from somewhere. Not that we are saying these things are not necessary, but the money has to come from somewhere. And it is concerning that we are adding, obviously, to the social grant wage bill, and yet we have 10 million South Africans who aren't working. At a certain point, the only sustainable solution to this is to grow the economy. Right now, all of these issues that we're having, and, and Mike said that I'm not giving answers, the reality is because the situation is tough. And... And there are the, easy, the easy answers aren't there anymore. And so, you know, when you're having a, a lot of our developing country peers, Malaysia, Indonesia, China, India, Thailand, Vietnam, they've almost doubled the size of their economy over the last 15 years by growing at 3 4 5 6%, double digits in some cases. We haven't grown, and we're standing still, and that makes all of these conversations more difficult. To Ezekiel's question on the business environment, I think I touched on it with Mike, um, Absolutely. We have to improve the environment for doing business. Some of that work has happened, um, especially for small business, become easier to start a business and things of that nature. But the question is, where are your customers coming from? That's another, that's another point, right? If the economy is not growing, businesses are reluctant to invest because they're not understanding, well, well who am I going to sell my goods and services to if you know, people are out of work, people's incomes aren't increasing? These on the wage bill. My brother, I'm, I'm, I'm not saying to you that, these, that our civil servants don't deserve, um, you know, don't deserve increased salary. We obviously, we understand the huge needs that, that folks have. Um, and so some of these, you know, become very complicated questions around, you know, distance from work, transport costs, cost of living, the social wage, in addition to what you actually pay people, what, what are the demands that are placed on, on people? So it's not a question that I think, um, our, our public servants don't deserve more money. The question is, it's not about deserve, it's about what we can afford. The reality is, um, you know, if you look around Africa, we've seen this. We've seen this story before. The moment comes when government, a government, the government can't pay salaries, right, because it simply doesn't have the money, it can't borrow it, and now civil servants go unpaid. And so, you know, that's the, that's the point that we're trying to avoid. And so... You know, the reality is we're going to have to start making decisions around, and this is something that the, the Deputy Finance Minister, um, David Masondo, Dr. Masondo, made after the budget, which is we don't think that we can reduce headcount because we have high social needs, so we're going to need moderation on the wages. And if, if the unions don't agree to that, and the public sector workers don't agree to that, 
then it's going to have something's going to have to give, and then then it will be headcount. Then government either will not hire, or will get to the point where it has to start talking about retrenchment. But the reality is that we 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 have to live within our means. If we do not generate the revenue to pay for our government services, government salaries, and these things, if we don't generate it through taxes, through the size of our economy, then we have to borrow. And we do not have unlimited capacity to borrow. Um, I'll pause there. You mentioned that at some point you wanted to get into a discussion around debt-to-GDP ratio, but I'll leave it to you as to where you want to go next. Yeah, because we are seeing rising global debt. No country is spared. The U.S. is hard hit. The EU is hard hit. These are some of our greatest trading partners, and of course the conditions are going to trade. I mean, are going to change, and that would have a ripple effect on us because we rely on these parties for at least keeping some businesses afloat. Now that obviously the rules of the game have changed, how might this, as you anticipate, affect private money in this country? So, um, look, the question about private money and public money are, are slightly different. I mean, when you talk about our, you know, rising global debt, absolutely. I mean, even the advanced economies are going to be doing a lot of borrowing as, as a result of this pandemic. And so, you know, we're already seeing African governments having some difficult uh, discussions around um, debt and, and, and with creditors. You know, our debt-to-GDP ratio is rising. It's not quite a, it's not quite a clear kind of there's a debt-to-GDP ratio of, about which is, above which is inherently problematic. So you have certain countries, like some of the European countries, have debt-to-GDP ratios over 100%, uh, you know, there or, or farther. Obviously, Italy, Greece, Spain, some of those countries are kind of in that 100% territory. Uh, but at the same time, a country like Japan is able to carry a debt-to-GDP ratio of 200%. United States, I think, is also close to 100%. But again, those economies are very strong. They're very big. They, they, yeah. be, they are reserve currencies for investors. Um, they have huge um, domestic savings pools. In the case of the United States, it's kind of a global haven for investment. And so it's able to sustain a high debt-to-GDP ratio. As a developing country... You know, once you start getting past the 80% territory, people start to get a bit worried because the, que- the question ultimately comes down to do lend- what do lenders believe is the chance of a default, right? What, at what point do, do lend- how much do lenders believe there's a risk that there, a moment would come when South Africa would be unable to pay back um, debt? And obviously Argentina is kind of mm. the, the, an example of a country that has had num- a number of debt crises um, which we don't want to emulate. And so... Finally? You know, cur- Sorry? Finally, please. Sure. I would just say that it's, it's something that we absolutely need to watch. I am going to be watching the extent to which Minister Mboweni um, uses this budget to finally confront some of these structural issues, to, to finally fight, push through some structural reform, because... Quite frankly, we're on a very scary trajectory right now. And without a fundamental change in the, the growth, the economic growth trajectory, you know, we're not going to be able to sustain the level of spending that we have. And we have two options at that point. Austerity, which no one wants, or a debt crisis, which no one wants even less.
Rock and a hard place. That's what it's called in real terms. 2047, Mr. Mandla Isaacs, political economist and managing director at Zahuti Advisory. We look forward to what you have said and how much of what of that you have said will actually, in fact, materialize on Wednesday as Mr. Mboendo speaks to the nation. After the break, then, we continue talking about money, the truth about money initiative, a conversation about money coaching, facilitating debt counseling. Haley Perry returns after the break, 2048.